Good to have you here tonight. Um, I need to remind you all about the uh, up-and-coming Middle East Crises Conference this Friday and Saturday. A Friday night, it's going to start at 7.30, so we urge you to make sure that you can get here on time. We want to start on time and and try to end as close to 9.30 as possible. I know that um, I think that evening we also have a youth uh, event, right, in the evening, kind of late. Kind of, they're locking them in, man. That's, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I, I guess it is, but, you know, that's what you do with kids. But, um, you know, Pastor Sam's going to have to deal with that himself. But that's, I think, uh, coming up uh, at... They're meeting here at 10. See, so that's why we want to kind of make sure that everything's done around, uh, around uh, 9.30 and move on from one event to the next. And don't forget, then, that the conference continues on Saturday at 10 o'clock. So Rich Freeman, who is our guest for that weekend and our conference speaker, will be here uh, Friday night, 7.30, 10 o'clock on Saturday morning, and then there's a break, and then uh, a second session on Saturday at 1. Okay? And then he will be speaking in the weekend as well. So uh, we urge you more than anything to pray for this conference. Pray that we get a lot of people come in and we want you all to come and be a part of it. I I don't have to, I don't think I have to tell you that what the topic is concerning the crisis that's taking place in the Middle East, of course, is something that has been predicted in the scriptures from the book of Genesis. And this is what he's going to be talking about. So the three sessions deal with the history, what's, uh, what is yet to come as far as the coming war, and then what do we do about it now. And I think that the church has to be uh, informed and awakened and uh, instructed rightly from the Scriptures. And I know that this is uh, what Rich is going to do when he comes. So I encourage you, please, to come. I know that many of us have have a lot of friends or family to ask questions about what is happening, uh, even questions about Bible prophecy. A lot of those questions will be answered this weekend. So, again, Friday at 7.30, Middle East Crisis Conference with Rich Freeman, Saturday morning at 10 and 1 in the afternoon. Three sessions of great importance, and so we urge you to be a part of that. This evening... And we're going to kind of just kind of bounce on the surface of this particular issue. Uh, but we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6 and look, focus our attention upon verses 1 and 2. I want to read down through verse 8 tonight because I want you to see the first four uh, seals that are going to be broken all are introduced by horsemen. And uh, they're often called the four horsemen of the apocalypse, or the four horsemen of Revelation. 
And it's, it's important to see them in their context. We'll read this as we go through each one in the weeks to come. But we'll begin with verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, <clears throat> I heard the third living, living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them. That is, the four. Or power was given to them, and it could also re- reflect the two, death and Hades. But power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. There are a few of us, almost have to say just a few of us, But there are a few of us in this room who remember what happened back in May of 1980, May 18 to be precise, May 18, 1980. Now, how many of you were born after 1980? Come on, be honest. Uh, Gabe, you were not. 1880, maybe, but not 1980. Okay. What happened on May the 18th, 1980? That was the day that Mount St. Helens exploded with such tremendous force that it flattened everything within 150 square miles. The blast was 500 times stronger than the nuclear bomb that leveled the Japanese city of Hiroshima. Millions of tons of rock disintegrated and disappeared into a cloud reaching 10 miles into the sky. 
A wall of mud and ash some 50 feet high came crashing down this mountain. And the terrible tragedy in all of this was that several people lost their lives. Please understand that there was substantial warning. There was plenty of warning given. The explosion of Mount St. Helens came as no surprise. Police cars and helicopters warned people to evacuate the area. At every major crossroad around Mount St. Helens was a warning that flashed on battery-powered signs. On the radio and television, people were being warned of the danger. Shortwave and citizen band operators were also warning the people in and around the mountain to leave the area because something terrible was going to happen. And much of what was being said was, this mountain is going to explode. And most of the people heeded those warnings, except a few who refused to listen, even though the signs were everywhere of the danger that was growing inside of this volcano. One of those people who refused to leave was a man named Harry Truman, not the president, but that was his name. How many of you remember hearing about Harry Truman? You probably even saw him on the news, because he was interviewed before Mount St. Helens exploded. But he refused to leave. He was the caretaker of the recreation lodge on Spirit Lake, five miles north of Mount St. Helens. The park rangers tried to warn Harry of the coming explosion. His neighbors begged him to join them as they left the area. Even his own sister tried to talk some sense into this stubborn and rebellious old man. But Harry refused to listen, and he ignored the warnings. In fact, as I said on television, Harry grinned and he said, Nobody knows more about this mountain than Harry, and it don't dare blow up on him. Well, on that day, the 18th of May, 1980, at 8.32 a.m., that volcano blew up despite Harry's claims, and he lost his life along with 56 other people. 56 other people, 57 people lost their lives because they did not heed the warnings that had been given. And many people today are like Harry Truman and these 56 others. They refuse to heed God's warning of coming judgment, even though the signs are everywhere. The signs are everywhere. The Bible, time and time again, from the very beginning even, the Bible is telling us, keep an eye on the signs. Understand the signs. Understand the signs of the times. And understand the times of the signs. Because we're living today in the times of the signs. There are all kinds of signs being given today. We're seeing them all over. This, this event that happened, this terrible tragedy, though we cannot say it was 
you know, in, at, the, at the same level as, as 9-11 back in 2001? Or what happened in Benghazi? But it was terrible. It was painful to watch. It was painful to see again what the first responders were responding to during a a very uh, high-level international event like the Boston Marathon. And this happening at the very end of it, at a particular time when most runners would be coming in from this long run. And what was a blessing to see, in a sense, was how the first responders, as well as the physicians who were there for just the runners, and there were a number of them, immediately when those blasts took place, they ran toward the blasts. Just as the police and firemen did in New York City on 9-11. But it was still painful to watch. Painful to hear about the tragedy. Painful to hear about the injuries and the deaths, especially of an eight-year-old child. And to know that his own mother and sister are still in hospital today. And in critical condition. A whole family. And we're pained by these things. But you know, it ought to wake us up. It ought to keep us on our toes about this whole issue of where we are in the times in which we live. These are definitely the times of the signs. Jesus talked about the end times in answers to the questions that were given by His own disciples. When is the coming of the Son of Man? In relation to this temple being, you know, here. And Jesus has to tell them, this temple ain't going to stand. There's a time coming when there will be a lot of false Christs, is what we're going to deal with tonight. There will be a time where there will be wars and rumors of wars. Famines and pestilences. It's all around us. In such an advanced society as we have today, and in such a technologically advanced society as we have today, there are still hundreds of millions of people still dying of starvation. Still dying of diseases. But a lot of that has been allowed because the governments of these nations, or the rogue governments, or, or, the, or the rebellious uh, uh, <clears throat> groups that are trying to take over various nations for their own purposes, are letting it happen. That's part of the signs of the times and the times of the signs. That's where we are today, folks. That's what we're dealing with. And it ought to wake us up to a couple of things. It ought to wake us up first and foremost to the fact that if these are the signs of the times and the times of the signs, then Jesus is coming soon. And if Jesus is coming soon, then we need to get ready. And we cannot be like the ostrich who keeps sticking his head in the sand because, you know, well, that's, that's a myth, you know, kind of thing. But, but proverbially, the, 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 you know... Sticking the head in the sand is to not have to look at anything. Or maybe if I stick my head in the sand, it'll all go away. It's not going to go away. 
You can hear the approach of the hoofbeats of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You can hear them. And yet people continue on, living without a care or concern for what the future holds, as told to all of creation in God's Word. The signs of the times today, and the times of the signs, changing moral standards, so that a few people can say, well, you know, we have the right to... Marry who we want to marry. Changing God's standards. Without any real fear. So people start believing in a God that changes. The Bible tells us that God doesn't change. And His law doesn't change. And His standards don't change. The good thing for us is that God is merciful. And God is gracious. But he's still a holy God. Many live almost daring God to do something. Never thought about that? How some people are just living almost daring God to do something, acting in total provocation and defiance to God's laws and standards. Those are the signs of the times because we're living in the times of the signs. We've spent the last two breathtaking chapters of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5. We've spent these last two chapters in heaven. We've been there in heaven with John. And, and the church, we see, is no longer, as we're going through the book of Revelation, where we are right now, the church is no longer on the earth, having been caught up to heaven and is around the throne of God. That's what those 24 elders before the throne represent. All of the redeemed caught up to be with God before the throne. And, and worship is taking place before the judgment comes, even before the hoofbeats can be heard. And we have seen, as we've stood alongside of the Apostle John here in heaven, the, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, taking the scroll or the title deed of the earth out of the Father's right hand, placing the right to judge and rule the world upon the Messiah of Israel. No one else was able and no one else was worthy to do so. Only the perfect sacrificial lamb could take the scroll and loose its seals. No one else but Jesus. And now in chapter 6, Jesus does begin to loose those seals. He begins to break the seals open. And as He does, judgment will be poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth. You must understand the timing. You must understand the pictures that are being given to us. Quit putting the church where it isn't. Put the church where it is at this time. Because of what God is about to do. The prophet Zephaniah describes this period of God's judgment against a Christ-rejecting world. I want you to look at it in your Bible. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Look it up. Look at it right now. Look at it. It's near the end of the Old Testament. Just a few books before Malachi. Not Zechariah, but Zephaniah. In chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, it says, The great day of the Lord is near. I want you to underline the phrase, the day of the Lord, in your Bibles. Not the church's Bibles, your Bible. The great day of the Lord is near. 
Underline day of the Lord. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. You underline it again because it's there mentioned again. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There are, or, or I'm sorry, there the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath. So if we understand the day of the Lord consistently through the scriptures, the day of the Lord is a day of wrath. A day of trouble and distress. This is a good definition right here of the day of the Lord. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 16, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of jealousy, of his jealousy. For he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Folks, this is not a statement of some kind of, in some kind of metaphoric sense. This is what is going to happen. This is why we're seeing what is happening in the world today happening. This is why it's happening. Because there is a day coming, the great day of the Lord, the awesome day of the Lord, in which he is bringing tremendous devastation upon the land. Mount St. Helens only affected 150 square miles. Even though the smoke went into a lot of states, uh, you know, but we're talking about the effect of that. The devastation of God's wrath is upon the whole earth that is inhabited by those who have rejected God and Christ. This period, as we said, is, is known as the day of the Lord. And it speaks of God's wrath being poured out upon the earth dwellers during the seven years of tribulation because of their sin and because of their rejection of Messiah. Because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. And here is the thing. They will be standing on their own righteousness. They will be standing on their own righteousness, which is like filthy rags before a holy God. Now that, that statement, of course, you know, we, we get that, of course, from Isaiah 64, verse 6. That says, but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Really, in, in, in total, all of us have had to understand that because we were born into this world in flesh and we were born in sin, that no matter what we do in the flesh, if we think it's righteousness, it's, it's nothing like the righteousness of Christ that covers us now if we've, re, if we've repented and come to Jesus Christ. Because he looks for the righteousness of Christ. God looks for the righteousness that is upon us, which is our clothing now, which is in Jesus Christ. But consider all of the people that are going to be on the earth after the church is taken out and the, the day of judgment begins or the day of the Lord begins in the sense of, its, of, of the devastation beginning. And, 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 it, and it starts off a little deceptively. We'll see in a moment. 
It starts off with peace before everything breaks loose. But Jesus, after speaking of this coming judgment, in Luke chapter 21, says this, beginning in, in verse 34, and I want you to look at it again in your, in your Bibles. Luke chapter 21, the Gospel of Luke. I want you to see what Jesus said. He said, but take heed to yourselves. Speaking of the coming judgment. He's speaking to his disciples, and hence he's speaking to us. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the followers of, of Christ. In Luke 21, verses 34 to 36, he says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. How, how many of you remember, uh, at least over the time that you've been here, that I've oftentimes said, Be ready, Jesus is coming. Be ready, your redemption draws near. Look up, your redemption draws near. Just want to keep reminding you, because this is what Jesus said. Take heed to yourselves. That that day come up, does not come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now notice what he's saying. This judgment is going to come upon all, it says, who, who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So there's something coming. Now, what he says in verse 36, and I want you to see it, so if you look in your Bibles, that's good, but if you need to, you can look it up here. He says, watch therefore and pray always, which means right now, this is what we ought to be praying, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, where will we stand before the Son of Man? But where we saw the scene in heaven. You all see that? Are we worthy? Or are we standing in the worthiness of Christ and His righteousness upon us? But to be counted worthy means we've died to self and we've let Christ live in us. This is why this is so important. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. That will come to pass. And to stand before the Son of Man. We stand before the Son of Man because there's going to be judgment upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. Where are we going to stand? See, that's the question. That's the question I don't want you to leave without considering. Jesus is warning us not to get caught up in the things of this world. Don't become worldly, but keep your focus on the Lord. If you do, that day won't catch you unprepared as it will the earth and the earth dwellers during the tribulation period. Our prayer should always be to allow the Lord to transform our lives into His image so that when people see us, they would see the character and the love of Christ flowing through our lives. That is what, so, that is, what is so important here and so significant about Understanding what is going to take place in the days to come. So this brings us back now to heaven. It brings us back to heaven as Jesus Christ now has the scroll in his hand and is about to loose the seals. Now the stage is being set for the 
last seven year period to begin before the Lord returns to set up his kingdom on this earth. We're going to deal with that a little bit, not tonight so much. We will touch upon it a little bit from the book of Daniel. We're going to have to put together Daniel and Revelation here in the next few weeks and, and, and begin to see the comparisons. There's a little comparison we're going to see tonight. But uh, this is all going to gel together because of the preparation for this coming judgment. So we see this first seal then. And the first seal that is broken or loosed reveals this white horse and a rider that is on the horse, which represents false peace. It represents false peace. I mentioned that what we would consider the great devastation that's coming in the seven-year period actually begins a little deceptively. When I say that, it's not God being deceptive. It's actually the Antichrist being deceptive. And, and we'll see that as we go along here. But once again, I want you to see verse, verses 1 and 2 of our text. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. Now that's a tremendous issue here. We, we were talking about this, these, these living creatures and and, and kind of tied them together into this, this thought of the, the cherubim and, and the seraphim and, 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 and then, you know, the, uh, also the, the, the character, the, the, the uh, overall character of, of an omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent God and all. But here is, there's this, this, this voice like thunder that comes out of one of these living creatures that says, come and see. And again, remember that revelation is a revealing. So we're not being told any longer, cover this up until the time. The time is now, reveal it. We all understand when we see, come and see. John is to open his eyes. We are to open our eyes. The church is to open its eyes. The world is to open its eyes. Because it's the world that has blinded its eyes or closed its eyes or shut its own eyes to the things of God. It's happening every day. People are shutting themselves off from the Lord. They say, well, why can't you be like all those other Christians that just allow everything else to happen just the way they want it to happen? Because we serve a God that doesn't change. We serve a God that doesn't change. We serve a God who says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our Lord Jesus Christ, it says in Hebrews chapter 13, that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't change. So the revealing is for all to see. Though we right now have our eyes open to it. You can see it now, or you'll have to see it later. Best to see it now. See it from the perspective of the church. See it from the perspective of the, of the children of God. See it from the perspective of the people who have, who have surrendered their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, who are, who are assured of salvation because of what Christ has done. Be in that position and with that perspective now, because one day those who have rejected and closed their eyes, their eyes will be open, but it will be too late. Please understand that. And I don't say that to scare people. Well, no, maybe I do. Yeah, I scare that to scare people. To scare people into the kingdom of God. 
Because we need to come to the fear of the Lord because of the day of the Lord that is coming. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the knowledge of the Holy One. We can begin to know who God is, who Christ is, what His power is all about, what His love is all about, if we'll just open our eyes now, not wait until it's too late. Remember that it says that every knee shall bow in heaven, in earth, and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Best to do that now. Best to bow our knees now. Best to bow our hearts before the Lord now. Not wait till we are part of the group that has waited too long. And then we have to bow our knees in in hell. Bow now. And I looked. John opened his eyes and he looked. And we as a church are to look. Behold a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. Like a bow for arrows. Not a bow for your hair. Okay? Bow. Well, you know, i, I got to say that because... Yeah. I mean, there are, there, are, there are people today who, who look at this and they say, Oh, it's Jesus! Honestly, they think this is Jesus here. I'll tell you why they think of it in just a moment. So, so he said, on it had a boat and a crown was given to him. By the way, this crown in the Greek, the word is Stephanos, which is the crown of victory. It's a laurel, not, it's not a golden crown, it's a laurel crown. Uh, And he went out conquering and to conquer. Okay, so keep that in mind. Let's quickly look. Now, I want to kind of give you a very quick general look at, 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 in broad strokes, at the three principal series of judgments in Revelation. There are three series of judgments in Revelation. Uh, There are the seal judgments. And the seal judgments are in response to a world that is ruined by man. I'll explain this as we go along. The seal judgments are a response by God to the world that is ruined by man. The trumpet judgments are God's response to a world that is ruled by Satan. And what we're saying here is that the judgments grow in intensity. But yet the judgments in themselves kind of grow together. Uh, again, these are little things that we're going to explain as we go. And then the bold judgments that come out of the last trumpet judgment, as the trumpet judgments comes out, come out of the last seal judgment, as we'll see, are, are overall God's response to this world that has been devastated by man and by Satan. And what is that? He comes to rescue the world. Where is it that Jesus is going to set up his kingdom? In On this earth. Where? In Jerusalem. Okay, good. Glad you said Jerusalem. Because that's where he's going to be. Alright, so understand that. The seal judgments are God's response to the evil man. And what he has brought upon the world due to sin and rebellion. When God created the world, what did he create? He created something good, didn't he? What was it? What ruined it? 
sin. Uh, today, evil passions are arising. They're getting worse and worse. They've, they've been bad all along, but they're getting worse now. Uh, evil men and seducers are growing worse and worse. Disobedience to parents has grown up into a, a defiant maturity now. Because their divine all authority, especially that of the Creator God. More and more men have invented evil things that threaten to destroy the globe. The time has come for the Lord now to interfere in the affairs of men. And what man is doing, God has come now to intervene. The trumpet judgments are God's response to Satan's rule of the world, intensifying the judgments upon man and the earth due to the devil's evil spirits and their domination of a planet that was created with all that was in it being good initially. We cannot stick our head in the sand when we see what has happened in places like Aurora, Colorado recently, the past year or so. What happened around the, the, the holidays, Christmas, in Newtown, Connecticut. You see those guys that are, you know, in, uh, well, the one guy in, in Colorado who's, who's alive, but all the others, you know, they kill themselves. And then they talk about their mental health issues. Folks, there, there are problems in these areas, but one thing is for sure, and people are denying, either denying it or, or, or uh, uh, just not wanting to hear about it. But you know, a lot of this is not just about that. It is about demonic oppressions. Oftentimes, even possession. And we wonder. But this is the way the world is. And it's destroying the world that God created to be good. The bold judgments are God's overall response to rescue the world and return from glory, uh, and, and return it to glory to put an end to the earth's woes. He's going to return from glory so that He can do this. But for now, we need to concern ourselves with the first of the four horsemen mentioned in chapter 6 that John is allowed to see as the first seal is broken. Now, the drumming of hoofs is now heard as the first rider gallops into the scene. And the first rider is on a white horse and he carries with him a bow. And, and he has a crown on his head and he goes forth conquering to conquer. Now, if you're old enough to remember the old Western movies, who's old enough to remember the old Western movies? Real old Western movies. Good. You know, they were fun. Huh? They were, you know, there was always the guy, the good guy who wore the white hat, right? The good guys always wore the white hats while the bad guys always wore the black hats. They never shaved. <laughs> and thus you knew who the good guys were and who the bad guys were just by the color of their hats. But if you wanted to pass yourself off as a good guy, you wouldn't dress up in your usual bad guy clothes. You'd dress up in good guy clothes and everybody thinks you're a good guy. But you're doing that because you're trying to deceive. So with that in mind, some people have actually thought that the writer in the first two verses of this chapter are the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. It must be Jesus! It's, he's wearing white. He's, he's got a crown. And he's conquered, hasn't he? Okay. Well, we see the Lord Jesus mentioned in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 13. Actually, 11 through 16, but I'm just going to read the first three verses of that passage. It says Revelation 19. Just go, right, just go over there. Look at it. 
Now I saw, in heaven, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. Well, there's a white horse there. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. Oh, he has a name. See, we weren't given a name in chapter 6. We're given a name here. His name is faithful and true. Now, who can that be? Who's faithful? The Lord is faithful. Who's true? The only truth there is. The Lord. And in righteousness, He judges and makes war. Notice, in righteousness, not in deception. Y'all see the difference? In righteousness, He judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on His head were many crowns. Now, the word for crown here is diadema. We have an English word, diadem. Diadems or, you know, crown that is full of jewels. and In other words, a royal crown. And, and, uh, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. That's significant. And his name is called the Logos of God. Who's the Logos? Jesus. So we know this is Jesus because it describes Him and identifies Him. The Logos of God. Who's the Logos of God? Jesus. Where do we know that from? John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word, the Logos, was God. And in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know who that is. It's Jesus. So we know this is Jesus in chapter 19. But in chapter 6, there's no name given. Why isn't He identified if it's Jesus? Why don't they call Him that? Because it isn't Jesus. It looks like Him. Has some things that look like Him. Has a crown. It's not Him. It's not the case here in chapter 6 because what follows the introduction of this writer, what follows him? Death and destruction. What follows him is death and destruction. And so this is a counterfeit or if you want, the counterfeit Christ. If you want to call him the Antichrist, you can Though he is not called that through this, through this uh, book. But nonetheless, he is an antichrist, isn't he? Because he's trying to take the place of Christ. Anti does, doesn't always just mean against. It also means in the place of. And so, he, uh, an antichrist then is one who, who is against the true Christ... And seeks to be in the place of Christ in the hearts and minds of people. So what we find here is that he appears as a good guy. But he's far from it. I want you to remember what the Apostle Paul told us about Satan and his ministers. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm giving you a lot of, a lot of Bible exercise here. Bible calisthenics. I couldn't remember the word. Bible calisthenics. Got to open your Bible. Got to turn to where, where these places are. If 
you got to use the uh, table of index, that's okay. Or the table of contents, go ahead. It's all right. Look them up because you need to learn where these books are. First, uh, Second Corinthians, I'm sorry. Second Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15. Notice what Paul says about Satan for, uh, and, and his, and his uh, ministers. It says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. I've seen people, you know, and, and I'm sure that you have too. They don't like what the Bible says. We're going to change what the Bible says, so we're going to have new Bible translations. Because of the old Bibles, you know, the... Those old Bibles, they just, they, they just, you know, they, they say a lot of too, too many archaic things and, and things that just don't sit right with the culture today or they don't sit right with, with, with the society today. And we need to be a lot more loving and caring for other people. And so they change the Word of God. They change it in, in, in their more modern translations, but then they don't do that only. And then they create their own churches where they wear robes and they, they look holy and they have ornate crosses in their churches and, and all. But they don't preach the cross. I said a couple of weeks ago, if not last week, you know, so there's some churches today that have taken the word blood or the songs that talk about the blood of Jesus out of, the, out of their hymn books. Because it's too bloody, too gruesome. But if we, don't, if we don't praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ, without the blood of Jesus, we have no salvation. And we have no forgiveness. And this is the modern church today. And if you don't mind me using a more colloquial term, it stinks. Because it isn't the church of the living God. The church of a counterfeit gospel. And we have to be very careful what we're hearing in the radio, on TV. If the cross isn't preached, if the blood of Christ isn't preached, if the resurrection of, the, of Jesus from the dead is not being preached, If the risen Christ is not being exalted, if sin is not being called what it is, then don't watch. Unless you're taking notes to make sure that your ears are attuned and discerned. Because there are false apostles and there are deceitful workers who have transformed themselves into the apostles of Christ. And, and they're, they're being demonically deluded. Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. They don't have a good end coming. So... This writer is a great deceiver and he comes on the scene during a time of worldwide chaos. Would you say that we're in a time of worldwide chaos today? I, I really believe that we are. If we're really honest 
about what we see on the news today and what we read in the papers and all of that, good papers, you know, if we're really honest about it, we're living in, in worldwide chaos today. But he brings to the world answers to their problems. Oh, listen, over the last 40 years or so that, I, that I've known the Lord, I mean, so many people are always looking, you know, what's he preaching? What's he saying? What's he, what's he, what's he espousing? You know, because we, we, have to, we have to know because maybe, you know, this, maybe he's the Antichrist or maybe that's the Antichrist or this president is the Antichrist or that prime minister is the Antichrist or this person is the Antichrist. You know what? We're going to know it if we're discerning and we stay in the Word of God. We're going to know it. But what we see today is not so much a, an Antichrist, a single Antichrist, but many Antichrists. John talks about it in his letter. He talks about a spirit of Antichrist. That's what's happening today in the world. That is what's happening today in the secular world. That is why everything is being turned secular in the, in the European community today. We don't need to have mention of God. We don't need to have mention of the Bible. We don't need to have mention of all of these things because we, we're progressive. We, we, we evolved. Yeah, from monkeys. Or at least they think so. We'll talk about that next week, as a matter of fact. I'm going to slip it in there. But somebody is going to come with answers to their problems. He brings to the world a false peace. In fact, this great deceiver will come as that peaceful leader holding, notice, a bow, but no arrows. You know that picture I showed a little earlier? And I looked all over the place to find a guy riding the horse, the white horse, with no arrows. A lot of them had arrows. No, I'm sorry, this one doesn't have any arrows. Well, the one you saw earlier. Just a bow, no arrows. Another deception. Because he's going to bop you on the head with his bow. By the way, <laughs> this is in contrast to the Lord Jesus Christ, whose weapon is a sword. So we should have already known it wasn't Jesus. Because he has in his hand a sword. Of course, Jesus, we saw earlier in the book of Revelation, had that sword coming right out of his mouth, man, because it's the word of God. And while this counterfeit writer is wearing a victor's crown, as I said before, the Stephanos, Jesus is wearing the diadema, a kingly crown. The Antichrist could never wear a diadema because it only belongs to the Son of God. That crown only belongs to Jesus. Consider also that the prophet Daniel stated that a prince will come to make a covenant with Israel to protect her from her enemies. Turn to Daniel chapter 9. A little behind here. There we go. Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. Now, I'm just going to read a portion of a section that we will be coming back to later, but uh, this is just so that you can see the prince that is mentioned here. Uh, Other translations may use a different word. But uh, more literally, it is Prince. It says, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Now, that's speaking of the death of Jesus Christ. That's speaking of the death of Jesus Christ. And again, I'm going to kind of go over that uh, later. And the people of the Prince who is to come. 
the prince who is to come is this antichrist, as it were, or the beast, as it were. But we'll, again, just, we'll, we'll begin to identify more as we go along. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Rich is going to talk about a war this weekend. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be on Saturday. But you don't want to miss Friday. So make sure you come both days. And then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. The many there in context. Now remember that you have to understand the whole context of chapter 9 of Daniel. But the context is that he's going to make a covenant with the people of Israel. And we'll confirm this when we come back to study it. But he's making a covenant with the people of Israel for one week. Now, one week for us is seven days. But here it's just the word seven or sevens. And therefore, as we determine it and has has been kind of measured out by a number of people, but but some very accurately, it's really speaking of seven years. What did we say earlier? There is a seven-year period of tribulation that we're going to be dealing with in these, in these uh, chapters from chapter 4 to chapter 19 in the book of Revelation. It's all about those seven years. So here it says, He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, which is the seven years, but in the middle of the week, which is where? Three and a half years. Now that's significant also, and I can't go into the details of the significance of it tonight, but we will learn that it is at that moment, at that point, that the great tribulation of the tribulation period overall, the seven years, the great tribulation, it gets worse from there, and and it just multiplies the the, the judgment itself, the, the devastation itself, the intensity of the judgments. Because here's what happens. In the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. He has made a covenant so that Israel can have their temple, which is very significant in the end time, uh, prophecy and prophetic studies. And they would have the temple for these three and a half years, uh, sacrificing, going back to the sacrifices. Those of you who've been to Israel, raise your hands. Those who've been to Israel, you've been to Israel and you know what you've learned? You've learned that they're getting ready now all the temple furniture, all the temple accoutrement, uh, 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 so that they can do what? Start sacrificing once the temple can be built again. They, are, they, they, they can't have Messiah come without the temple. And we get a chance to go into this room and they show us all of these things. It's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's a neat part of the trip. By the way, March 2014, we're going again. So save your pennies. No, better save your dollars because it's, it's a lot of money. Okay, but we want you to go. Anyway, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. In other words, wipes everything out. It just becomes, I mean, just totally devastating. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. I'll explain that when we, when we get to it. But the point is, there is a prince who is to come. There is one person who brings peace. Brings peace. But then in the middle of that peace treaty, he breaks it. 
And what this is saying in effect is that even the Jewish people, even the Jewish people who ought to know the Scriptures will be deceived by this, this imitator impersonator. Jesus said it in John five forty three. He says, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. It's, it's clear, in the, in the, again, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, uh, you know, well, John said of Jesus, he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. But to as many as receive him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to as many as believe in his name. But he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. They were deceived. Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he said, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, the man of sin, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You remember the middle of the seven-year period? On the wings of abominations? You know what the abomination was? That this Antichrist goes into the temple where no one is to go. And he desecrates the temple by taking a seat on what is to be the throne of God. Again, we'll talk about that as we go. Showing himself that he is God? I mean, there's a lot of nutcases out there that call themselves God. We've had guys come in through the door and they say, here, I'm, I'm God. I'm ready to punch their lights out. You're not God. You don't even smell like God. You smell like man. Apestoso. Get out of here. I mean, it's just nuts, you know. Go a few verses later, Second Thessalonians. Verses 9 through 12. Notice what it says. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. People are going to be deceived by what they see. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Notice, among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They refused and rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you have not refused it and you have not rejected the gospel of Jesus? Yeah, uh, okay. You guys are tired. I'll tuck you all... uh, I'll tuck you all in in just a little bit. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. The lie. That they all may be condemned who do not or did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It may seem incredible that the world hovering on the brink of final disaster could be so totally deceived. Yet we saw this happen, at least in our study of modern history, we saw it happen at the outbreak of World War II. Because you know that Hitler, Hitler made a false claim to be a man of peace. If you study history, you know that Hitler made a a, a claim 
to be a man of peace, but it was false. But the world listened to him. And the Prime Minister of England, Chamberlain, went to Germany and he sat with Hitler. Hitler, they made, a, they made an agreement. They, they signed this peace treaty. And Chamberlain comes back to England. He says, we have peace in our time. Winston Churchill never believed Hitler. And when he got up to speak in Parliament about that, they shouted him down. They shouted Winston Churchill down, but he never believed that Hitler was a man of peace. And not long after, Poland was taken, but it was too late. That was part of Hitler's plan. Poland and Czechoslovakia and other places. Taken over by a forerunner to the Antichrist, Adolf Hitler himself. Obviously, we haven't learned the lesson of the ages. You know what the lesson is? What we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. There is a cry today for world peace. There has been for a long time. Peace at any cost. Peace at any expense. A cry that is stronger than ever. And yet we see wars breaking out all over the world, as Jesus said, would happen. Wars and rumors of wars. From Korea to Pakistan, from Europe to Africa and the Middle East, the world is being set up to receive this man who rides into town on a white horse, wearing a white hat, ready to solve the problems of the world. But he has a bigger agenda than that. He has a much bigger agenda than that. He wants world domination. But the Lord has a greater agenda. The Lord's greater agenda is that He's going to come to settle all accounts, individually as well as with nations. He's going to come and He's going to settle all accounts and He's going to put things back in godly order to rule once again in true peace, to rule once again in justice and in grace and in mercy and in truth. And I can assure you, whatever God's plan is to accomplish that, He's going to accomplish it because He is faithful to accomplish all that he sets out to do. And we have it right here. We have it in his word. It is, it is the most reliable document that this world has. But it's otherworldly. It came from God himself. Do you all understand what I mean by that? It is the most reliable document that there is because it has stated things will happen and they've all happened every prophecy given that has been accomplished has been accomplished every prophecy that will take place will take place because of all that has already taken place that God said would happen it's reliable nations are going to be mentioned to you this coming weekend that's why I urge you not to miss this seminar, this conference, especially when we deal with the Ezekiel prophecies, 
and the war that is yet to come. We've talked a little bit about that war in Daniel chapter 9 tonight. But I want to read something to you as we're ready to close here because I know the time is getting a little bit away from us. But no, that's okay. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. Paul says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord... Now notice, the day of the Lord, and mark it in your Bible, because that coincides with the mention of the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. He says, The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, notice this, verse 3, for when they say peace and safety, what's the first thing we see here in, 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 our, in, in our seals being opened? The first seal open. Peace. Safety. A white horse. A man clothed in white. Holding a bow with no arrows. A crown on his head. Conquering and, and coming to conquer. Peace and safety. We have peace in our time if we follow this person. Everyone will have a cell phone. I'm sorry, that's not part of the. For when they say peace and safety, then notice sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. That is a phrase of prophetic intensity. It's something you find in the Old Testament. We'll talk about that in our study as we go along. And they shall not escape, notice. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. Do you remember what we read in Zephaniah about the day of the Lord? Great darkness, great devastation, great destruction. He says here, but you, brethren, brothers in in Christ, you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day shall overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not, us, did not appoint us to wrath. What is that day? It is the great day of wrath. But he says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. What did Jesus say in John 14? I'm going to come and I'm going to gather you unto myself so that where I am, you will be also. Did you get it? Anybody want to be here for that great day of wrath? I thought Jesus said, we need to escape it. It should be on our hearts and minds. Therefore, he says, comfort each other. And edify one another just as you also are doing. Comfort each other. The chapter before this, chapter 4, where he talks about the rapture of the church. At the end of that statement, he says, comfort one another with these words. It's all about God's comforting his people who have gone through a lot of stuff on this earth. And we're going to go through a lot more of it until Christ comes. 
Because more and more people are turning defiant against the things of God and they're turning more and more uh, uh, destructive, really, against the church. My question to you all tonight is, who do you trust to bring peace into your life? Who do you trust to bring peace into your life? How, how about trusting the true Prince of Peace? How about trusting Jesus? You know what Jesus said before he went to the cross? I want to close with this. I'm only seven minutes a little beyond. Seven, it's a good number. John 16, 33. These things, Jesus said, I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Do you notice he didn't say you might have, he says you will have. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus said, I've overcome it. And he can say that, even though he hasn't gone to the cross yet, he can say that because in light of eternity, he has gone to the cross. Because he knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And he knew you. And he loves you. And he cares so much for you that he wants to remind you to stay near the heart of God, to stay near the love of Christ, to stay in the love of Christ, to be in the love of Christ, to express the love of Christ, to show the love of Christ, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because one day, all hell will break loose it will break loose. But God has wonderful timing. And Jesus will come. And He'll catch you. And He'll catch you up. And He'll take you home. And where He is, there you will be also safe in the chuppah of Jesus. Isn't that encouraging? After hearing all that other stuff, and we, have, we just scratched the surface. That's the first seal broken. Boy, when the other ones start breaking, whew. But see, this is our hope. We will keep coming back to this. Jesus loves you, died for you, shed his blood for you, and rose again for you. Okay, now it's ten minutes past, but it's okay. Let's all stand.